before we get into today's show, I just wanted to thank those of you who reached out after the last recording. I know many of you uh, appreciated the conversation I had with Dr. Graham Codrington and, and shared it far and wide. And I really appreciate that the feedback that we got was encouraging. It was moving. And as I mentioned in the introduction to that particular recording it wasn't the easiest show to record and i just really appreciate the feedback that's that's what makes this worthwhile so if you didn't get a chance to listen feel free to go back and do so and if you don't mind please go ahead and share it with your networks and send it on to friends who might need to hear that content in the episode that i recorded with graham we discussed how important it is for us to find ways to start and grow and nurture and amplify small businesses and SMEs as a potential solution to some of South Africa's economic challenges and my show today is all about that. My guests are Dawn Nathan-Jones and Leslie Vartikane. Uh, they run a business called Over the Rainbow at overtherainbow.co.za and their vision really is to create an ecosystem of training materials, networks, support systems, coaching to promote the growth and health of the small business sector in South Africa. And they've got some remarkable stories. They've produced a number of books about their achievements and about their learnings that are available online. They talk about those in detail and we provide links for you to go and find those yourself. Um, but really just an encouraging discussion around how, how easy it actually is and how easy it should be to support whether you're a corporate or an individual or a network of businesses or an entrepreneur yourself the small business ecosystem around you. I uh, really left this conversation feeling excited, feeling motivated, and feeling pretty optimistic about our chances if, of course, we can find a way to support the small businesses that prop up our economy. Please enjoy this discussion with Dawn Nathan-Jones and Leslie Vartke. So about five years ago, as I was approaching 50, you know, I've reached a stage in my business career where I really wanted to start giving back. And we all know that it's hard being an entrepreneur. And how could we help more businesses not only survive, but thrive? We all know the statistics of, you know, more than two out of every three businesses fail within their first two to three years. So we really wanted to change that statistic and make a difference in our economy. Mm -hmm. um, I then, my sister and I at the time, went to San Francisco and we went on a book writing course and we okay. wanted to start with writing an entrepreneur playbook from Rookie to Rainmaker and really put some content down and using the seven colors of the rainbow. So the rainbow was very close to our hearts. First of all, you know, we are the rainbow nation, even though everyone's a bit over the rainbow. But secondly, very sadly, my mother died about 13 years ago. And at her funeral, just after her funeral, there was this beautiful rainbow. So a rainbow has been very close to our hearts as well. And everybody knows that the pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow. But we say that the pot of gold lies inside you. So how can we help these young entrepreneurs unlock that pot of gold, as it were, and help them find their way, find their true north, and really put them on a course to success. And that's how Over the Rainbow was born. Okay. And then how was it that the partnership came about? Dawn, your, your background is in the corporate world. Yeah, very yeah, much. And then... So I started as very much uh, an entrepreneur, on the pavements um, entrepreneur. I was given a great opportunity at a young age to start up a business with a colleague of mine, Carol Scott. 
And we were very fortunate. We had some good funders in the motor industry and we were able to start up this business. Mm -hmm. And um, it really was, you know, for the first sort of 10 years, very much, um, you know, working in the, you know, in the business mm -hmm. and uh, growing the business. We had, we started off, we were given um, six cars on a lease and really built the business up. And um, again, similar to Les, you know, my life was spent at Imperial 35, just over 35, just yeah, over 35 years. And, you know, there, there came a time where, you know, I'd merged and acquired many businesses and I'd done, I think, everything that I could do and um, needed to to find, a, you know, the, the next mm. journey or the next, um, you know, path in, in my life. And I, I think that I'd, I'd been relatively successful. When I left, we were doing a turnover of just over, just with the, my, my businesses, we're doing a turnover of about six mm -hmm. billion. And from six cars, we had 26,000 cars. And, you know, it was time. I think, Mike, you just know when um, you have been an entrepreneur and you, you really growing the business and then all of a sudden you become this corporate um, animal <laughs> and um, you know for me I, I sort of not ever lost the passion but for me I'm, I'm more of an entrepreneur and I'd become a corporate business leader which was amazing absolutely amazing but but I just felt that at 55 I needed to also move on and, and find a place and I always say I talk about you know the three phases of my life um, in particular the first part where you're learning and that's, you know, up until your 20s. And, and I did that very successfully and learned as much as mm. I could on the ground with Imperial. And then, you know, you, you spend the next phase of your life earning, um, not just earning financially, but earning respect, earning your position um, at the boardroom table. You know, that, that was an incredibly exciting phase of mm. my life. And then comes the returning, you know, part where, where you need to take what you have acquired, you know, the learnings, the experiences, uh, the failures, and you know, give that back to, to others. So I decided to leave Johannesburg and move with my son to Cape Town for a better quality of mm -hmm. life and just to take time to chill. I never really you know, saw myself back in the corporate world, um, but I, I, I then was given um, a role in Shark Tank. Mnet approached mm. me and Shark Tank... Um, had just they just acquired the franchise um, for for Shark Tank in South Africa, and that gave me an opportunity, you know, to look at um, at, at entrepreneurs from a totally different perspective. I'm sure, yeah. Not only in terms of investment, but what it is we're lacking in in this country in terms of you know what entrepreneurs know. They have a passion. They follow their passion, and they think this is going to be like a great successful business. And um, that taught me a lot, and it, and, and it really opened my eyes to what we need to be teaching um, entrepreneurs in this country. And so when I moved to Cape Town, I started doing a little bit of work with a couple of um, startups. I had a few investments. And then um, over a short time, I sort of bumped into Leslie. And um, if you know Leslie, how energetic and how passionate sure. she is, and so, yeah, I, I invested in, in, in the business and, yeah, the rest is history. We've done incredible projects together. Um, we, yeah, Leslie keeps me on my toes. I keep saying, but Les, I've come to Cape Town to enjoy life. But, you know, it's, it's about your attitude towards, um, towards the world. And I think you never stop learning. You never stop giving. You never stop growing. And I think, um, yeah, that has always been my philosophy in life, just to see the world from a, from a different perspective. 
It's fascinating hearing you talk about the transition from that earning to returning phase of your journey. Um, I think for many people who have become, for lack of a better phrase, institutionalized, and I identify deeply with that idea of being corporatized, and, and, and then when you transition from that and you desire a more kind of outward approach, for lack of a better phrase, philanthropic contribution to the world, often it can be quite difficult because the needs and the options are so diverse and so great. I think it's really fortuitous, certainly for SMEs in South Africa and for, for entrepreneurs like me, that all of those things happened at the time that they happened and, and focused your energy in, into that, that SME space. Uh, that, that's, I think, really cool. Leslie, I wanted to ask you, um, how do you explain the business to somebody who's never heard of it before? What's the elevator pitch? So it's really about offering entrepreneurs training, mentorship, and connections to other businesses to help mm. them succeed. And Over the Rainbow has designed a training program using the colors of the rainbow. And I think, Mike, this is what, you know, makes it so exciting. We've, we've developed our own system using the colors red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. I can say that fast now. And each color denotes a specific, you know, phase in your business where red is find your passion, find your true north. Orange is about building your promise, the marketing. The yellow is about committing to action, your sales strategy. And green is cashing on your passion, you know, make money doing what you love. Blue is about leadership. And then indigo is about, you know, your plan and looking forward and really taking your, you know, growing your business. And then violet is about our golden circle mentorship program, which is also part of the end of the training. Those who want to continue on their journey, join mm. our golden circle mentorship program, which is very much based on the premise of EO, um, a peer-to-peer -peer learning. But it is facilitated by Dawn and I because they're just not at that stage yet where mm. they can, mm. you know, be without a facilitator. And we really then help them grow their business and take it to that next level. So that's the whole spectrum of our um, training program and, and what Over the Rainbow is all about. And I imagine over the last two years, the way you deliver those products and experiences has probably changed to a more, a more virtual format, uh, if not by design, then by necessity. How, how, is the, how is the business and the way you connect with those candidate SMEs, how has it changed over the last while? So, you know, at first, I mean, when the pandemic first hit, I mean, Les and I were devastated because 2020 last year was was our be was supposed to be our best year. We had some sure. massive corporates um, that we had signed up doing really large scale entrepreneur projects, working in relatively rural communities, finding um, young entrepreneurs, unlocking their passion and then taking them through this training program. And at the end, it built up to very much like a, a shark tank type of uh, situation where we had judging, and then we would have a couple of winners and really exciting. We've done it the previous year, but last year was on a very much broader scale. We had, we had so much work cut out for us. And then um, the pandemic hit. And um, I must just tell you that, yeah, we were, I think Les and I spoke to each other at least every day. And um, we, we didn't quite know what to do. And, and actually, the Zoom was not really, um, I'll tell you how the Zoom happened. Les phoned me the one day deep in, in lockdown. And she phoned me, she said, Dawn, we've got to be doing more. We've got to be doing more. And I said, I know we've got to be doing more, but like I'm making sandwiches and I'm feeding people <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to yeah. change the world. What, what yeah. more do you want to do? And yeah. she said, let's write a book. Let's write a book 
um, about hope, about people that are doing things that are extraordinary in these times of absolute uncertainty, devastation, fear, um, anxiety, and, you know, and so, like I said, are you mad, Les? Like, how are we going to do this? And it was just fortuitous because what happened is, I mean, we, we, we did know about Zoom um, briefly, but what we then did is we got hold um, through Les's network, through my network, through people that I'd met in business, through young entrepreneurs that I'd, that I'd been mentoring. And we actually went through our network and, and within a couple of days, we had, we had over 20 people who were um, prepared um, to be part of our book to tell us the stories of what they were doing. And they were all relatively small businesses, Mike, small businesses that really had to transform and really had to pivot and do something totally different, really had to mm, adapt mm. to the situation. And we really wanted to mark the point in time, to leave a legacy in terms of, you know, what were you doing over this this time? And, and just, you know, learning from it because we tapped into people who were doing unbelievable things, like really incredible things. So mm. the Zoom, uh, you know, and, and having virtual engagements really came through the book. Um, where we, um, we we managed to get every single person that we wanted to to come into our book. We didn't want large entrepreneurs. We didn't want the major companies because those people really hadn't felt the same impact that, than the smaller businesses and the small entrepreneurs had had. Mm, had felt. Mm. I mean, many of them had like lost their business overnight, like from doing a turnover of of, of maybe three four hundred thousand a month to zero revenue and mm. um, so so it came through that through through literally using zoom and it was just such a powerful mechanism firstly to connect with people um, who were all in different places and who actually had time for us we managed even to to have um Tudy Madensella who was the forward in our book um to pin her down you know no one could say I'm sorry I'm in a board meeting or I'm traveling because you hadn't do anything. You were like in your home. So um, the book really was um, a great project that was, um, I must say, Les's brainchild that really developed into something in, in, incredibly powerful from the point of view. It gave us a great platform um, to talk to people and also to share the stories of these small businesses. And these small businesses didn't really have the platform or the means to many of them. I mean, some of them certainly did but the means to spend money on advertising or, or to tell people about what they were doing. So, so we really did get a lot of publicity. Uh, many mm, of them mm. have been on shows, on TV, on radio stations. Um, they've been in, in, in webinars. And we hope that, that we've been able to bring some hope, um, not only for those 27 people um, who, who we interviewed, but for small businesses. You know, if there was just one nugget that they could take up and say, Wow. But every one of those people just learned how to adapt, um, how to transform, you know, how to take action. And, and they were all just so passionate about what they were doing that they just weren't prepared to just see it all, all, all go. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite emotional. It was, we had some really um, sure. sad interviews um, and not all of them, um, there was a silver lining. But there were lessons. There were great, great lessons. And I think out of the book, there must be over 100 lessons that we've learned from the book. So that's one of the great projects. And that's how our business um, then moved to a digital space. Yeah. And we've been running training programs. In fact, I would say more than we ever had before when we were doing it um, in person. 
we're doing webinars, we're doing talks, we're doing mentorship, we're doing peer-to-peer mentorships, we're doing so much. Um, and, and there's just it's just like given our business a whole new window, an opportunity that maybe um, we didn't see before. That's fascinating. It's really, really cool to hear. And I imagine that will continue even and hopefully when the current lockdown slash pandemic context changes. Leslie, when you when you think about the challenges facing entrepreneurs today, and I mean, a lot of this is is widely spoken about and understood. We talk about access to capital and the willingness of capital. We talk about market readiness. We talk about disposable income. We talk about... but. It seems to me that you've held at the, at the core of your vision that the idea of the power of an access to a network. And I know that you and I, you know, we met a couple of years ago and we we reconnected at EO, which we've already mentioned on this call has been a very powerful force in your entrepreneurship journey. Talk to me about how important networking is, you know, at the center of what Over the Rainbow offers its clients. Mike, you can't emphasize it enough and you know so many of these young entrepreneurs think they need money they think they need access to capital as you say but what they really need is that network and those connections and we've seen it time and time again and I think you know with Dawn and I those are the in our golden circle mentorship programs we try and open doors to our networks to these people and you know one call to a corporate or an in at a procurement manager that we may know or an in at a company is much more meaningful to them than giving them 20 or 30 or 40,000 rand. It, I, I honestly believe that that access to, to networks and opening doors is fundamental. I mean, EO has just been a massive gift in my life. And it was one of the reasons that I opened Over the Rainbow, absolutely mm. inspired by that, so that we could give people in South Africa that don't have that hope and that ability to connect to these bigger networks. And I think that's just been fundamentally key to our success in Over the Rainbow as well, and especially our Golden Circle Mentorship Program. Mike, can I just add to that? So in my years in in, in the corporate world and building businesses, networking was like the most fundamental thing, and and that's Mm, what I spent probably three and and a half decades doing, um, networking with people. And um, networking and, and building relationships because, you know, collaboration in, in, in the businesses that I ran was, was so, so important because sometimes you can't always do it on your own. And there are other people out there doing other things that together you can, you can make magic. So for me, networks have always been um, really, really important. And I can and really say that my little black book um, has held me in, in, in high esteem. And still sure. to this day, I connect with, with all of those um, people that I've built relationships with over years. And even at Shark Tank, you know, people would come into the tank and they would, they would give us the pitch to the five judges and, 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 you know, they would tell us that they want a million rand and we say, okay, how do you get to the valuation of your business? And just simple things like how do you value your business? I mean, there was just like people just didn't know. I mean, they, were, they didn't know how to value their business and yeah. they'd be asking yeah. for a million rand or, or two million rand. And in fact, they didn't even have anything in their order book. Um, and, you know, just those people, you know, that we invested in, um, obviously many of them, we didn't give them the two and three million rand because they just like overcapitalized, you know, they had just overvalued their business. But mm. just introducing them to the right people, whether it be retailers, suppliers, you know, putting them on, you know, the right track. And, 
And just one telephone call, picking up one telephone call and saying, I've got this great entrepreneur who really just needs a door open. And it's just because so many of these young people, they don't have the contacts and they haven't, you know, built the years and years and years of, of, of relationships. And so, so for us and our golden circle, many of the businesses at the end um, have used so many of our networks that we put them on to, to people or many of them, we've actually made them do it. You know, you know, you go and you phone them because it's much easier if they take um, full accountability and, and ownership. It's only where they learn. So, so yeah, the power of networking is is just so key. Yeah, if you think about it, it, breaking into networks, finding those networks, exposing them, connecting to them, that must be one of the hardest things to do as an up-and-coming green entrepreneur who hasn't necessarily enjoyed the benefits of a privileged upbringing or being exposed to opportunities that, you know, people who were born into family businesses or family networks might, might have been. But it also, on the flip side, as hard as it is to get into a network, it costs nothing to give someone access to it. So there's exactly. this real, <laughs> if you think of it, there's this real imbalance between how hard it is to get in and how easy it is to give. It costs me nothing to facilitate an intro well, maybe it's, uh, I mean, it cost me five minutes to send an email, but, you know, if, if you consider how powerful it is, and, and I think it's worth harping on this point because of how, how impactful it is, I think we being entrepreneurs who have benefited from those networks could do a lot more, certainly, to introduce upcoming uh, individuals. And I think there's a real art to how you do that. I think there's a, a, a deliberation to a great introduction. I saw my mutual, I think you guys know him quite well as well, Richard Maholland, talking about yeah. the value of a good and deliberate and well thought out introduction the other day. And it's changed the way I think about how I do those intros. So talk to me about how corporates are involved in Over the Rainbow. You mentioned earlier on that corporates were coming on board. In what, in what capacity do they contribute to the work you do? So, Mark, we we wish that they would contribute more um, mm. because, you know, an entrepreneur is one, obviously, as you know, that runs their own business. So from a corporate point of view, you know, what is really their benefit then to supporting an entrepreneur? But the mm. benefit is, and one of the big corporates did do this and are in the process of doing this, is their supply chain development. And, mm. you know, you can get funds for that. So what Dawn and I have both been involved in is um, sitting on boards of small businesses that support their supply chain, where we actually um, they've formed a board. So we're trying to help them formalize their businesses more so that they can obviously give more value to those corporates. I think there is some commitment to supporting small business in South Africa, but I don't think it's enough. And also the other thing that we have done is we've also developed two-day boot camps where we get corporates to sponsor a two-day two boot camp where we also train small businesses that can potentially get into their supply chain or if they just want to give back in terms of enterprise development. And I think at the end of the day, you know, how do you create 5 million jobs? You create a million new businesses. And that's exactly what we wanted to try and do. How do we create a million new businesses but that can be sustainable and thrive. There's a beautiful statistic, Mike, and that is that if every small business globally employed one more person, it would alleviate unemployment worldwide. And, you know, at dawn in my heart is how do we get to those small businesses to employ that one more person and help unemployment, especially amongst the youth. 
If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of Season 1. It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or The One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. I mean, at risk of, of generalizing here, I, my experience certainly of my work with corporates in the space related to entrepreneurs and SME development, often the motives are purely around compliance, regulatory tick boxes. And um, I think one of the things, and this has come up time and time again in conversations that have happened during uh, the pandemic, one, one of the shifts from a leadership perspective, and I certainly hope from a corporate leadership perspective, has been a deeper appreciation for the connectedness of our economy. And none of us can afford to think of what we do or the value we create or the businesses that we, that we run in isolation. Uh, we have to think of it in context. We have to think of it in terms of community and neighborhoods and the, you know, the, the multiple ripples that our organizations make far beyond the four walls that we, we build around them. Um, yeah. Dawn, you know, in, in your time in the corporate environment, did you ever get the sense that there was a kind of a tension between building the business in such a way as to benefit the shareholders, which is the primary function, I guess, of any corporation, and the sense of being invested in the broader community and those concentric circles, those ripples outside of your four walls. How did you deal with that tension in the business? So, Mike, coming from a business that started literally at um, grassroots level and, and mm -hmm. then worked its way up and we listed maybe 26 years ago, and um, so there was a lot of pressure from, on us in terms of our, the scorecard, in terms of, you know, giving back to communities. And, and I must say, through my, my time at Imperial, I was very, very fortunate that we were left to really design our own projects. And mm. our projects were de designed around education and designed around the youth. And those are the things that spoke to our heart. So, for example, there were schools. Um, and, in fact, we now just – I was on a, um, an Imperial webinar to celebrate the 50th library that we've opened up in, in, in rural schools. And, you know, those 50 libraries have just brought about so much in terms of educating young people because they don't have money in many cases, to buy shoes to wear to school, let alone to buy books to read. So um, we were very, very fortunate um, that, you know, we, we, we understood and our shareholders understood purpose over profit. And it's, it's just amazing that, that I always feel that when you do give back, it comes back. It comes back in, in, in many shapes and forms. And we did a lot of work um, in the rural communities. And I must just tell you one very funny story. It's not a funny story. It's a real story. Mm. We had all these schools that we had. We adopted a couple of schools in Orange Farm. And, you know, a whole lot of us, um, I'm going to say this, white chicks go in a bus and we get there and we say, oh, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. And the first thing we say to the principals is, you know, all these kids are walking to school. We saw them all walking here. 
why don't we give you um, some transport? You know, let's provide you with 10 buses. And the principal mm -hmm. looked at us and, and like, that's not what they wanted. Firstly, the roads and everything. Secondly, to find somebody to drive the bus, the petrol, the insurance, etc. Yes, give us the bus, that's fine. But that's not what they needed. And then we went through a whole lot of different things. Obviously, the library was one of the things that we did. But then we said, you know what, we will, um, why don't we give bicycles to, to the kids to come to school? So we had these beautiful green bicycles. We had them specially designed with Europe car branding all over them. And we went to the, the prize giving to give 100 bicycles away. And I promise you, Mike, my heart broke. We were there on the platform giving these kids bicycles. And, of course, they were all delighted to get their bicycles. But one by one, I, as they walked up onto the stage, they did not have school shoes on. And, hmm. you know, so what should we have given them? Um, the shoes or the bicycle? Um, probably they needed the shoes first. And that was a big lesson um, you know, sometimes in corporates, and I was very fortunate that I didn't really experience that. But you, you're absolutely so right. They tick the boxes and they do things that they think those communities want. And it's actually not. That community didn't need a fancy bus. They didn't even need bicycles. They needed school shoes. So just, just an example of, of how we get it wrong because we come from a totally different place and we really don't understand. And this is what Les and I have been doing. I mean, at the first start of Over the Rainbow, we did a lot of youth camps with, with school children, grade 10 and 11s, not so much 12s, Les, because of uh, writing matric, trick, but grade um, 10s and 11s. And we took them through boot camps. And I mean, it was just the most rewarding thing in the world. Um, you know, trying to get them to unlock, you know, what their passion is and, and what they truly would love to do with their lives and to see if we could turn this into a business. And it was just the most incredibly um, rewarding, meaningful project we've ever done. But unfortunately, we needed corporates to, to assist us um, in, in terms of, because it's very, you know, to the logistics and everything. And it's, it's just such a shame that we had to, we haven't let go of the project. We still do it, but there's just so much need. And it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what needs to be done. But these children or, or, or young adults that we worked with actually didn't even know what it was to be an entrepreneur. You know, we taught them from basics how to start up a business, how to take a small little thing, a problem that they have um, in their community and turn that into a business. And um, there were some incredibly, incredibly awesome ideas that they, they had. So unless you're working in those areas and, and really understanding at the heart and core of what the issues are. It's very difficult to throw your ideas on others. You make such a pertinent point, Dawn, around the difference between helping and facilitating, which is also a lesson that I had to learn. I did a little bit of work with Partners for Possibility around their business leader and school principal co-mentorship, co co-leadership development program, which I think was a a beautifully designed program by Dr. Louise Van Rijn, who's actually also been a guest on, on the show. And I, I had to learn that like, because I'm an entrepreneur and because I grew up in a certain context and see the world a certain way, you know, I kind of, I've got a hammer and generally I look at every problem like it's a nail, right? And we, when we think about how to help, especially in a place that is as complex and complicated as South Africa can often be from an economic perspective. We, we always look at it with a, with a specific angle, a, a, an entrepreneurial angle. And while I do believe that SMEs 
are the key to our economic success and future. I think it's not so much about telling them how to run their businesses, which is what I'm hearing you saying. It's about creating the support for them to identify the real needs in their communities, in their contexts, rather than kind of through our context, because our, our version of how to design a business, how to deliver a solution, it might not always be the best version for different contexts. I think it's such a great point around the role of mentor in a place like ours. Um, it's very different. I think if you're looking at it through like a Silicon Valley lens, <laughs> you know, every, every business in Silicon Valley needs to be mentored the same way. You know, it's just like, get as much funny as you can and get as many users as you can and worry about revenue later. But those types of equations don't just don't work in other contexts. So exactly. I think the, you know, the, the challenge to business leaders is don't try and solve the problems of these SMEs, uh, create the, the environment, the support base, the foundation for them. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. To, yeah. to solve it for themselves. And also, Mike, just to, to your point, that every single one of the areas, you know, working in Cape Town, I've been shocked because I know Soweto, I know Orange Farmer, I know Alex very well. But you come to Cape Town, Langa is very different to, to Guguletu, which is very different to Kailicha. But but I want to bring you to a point, and very similar to, to the shoes and, and the bicycles, Les started, um, again, was the brainchild of an incredible project called 67 Logos, which mm -hmm. is um, something, you know, on, on Mediba Day, Mandela Day, we all spend 67 minutes doing something to, to give back. And I, I just want Les to tell you about this project because of, it really is just around the corner. And again, it's really giving back in, in, in a very different way um, to, you know, taking cupcakes and cookies and balloons. Um, Les, maybe it's your story. Maybe you could share that with Mike. I yeah, think please. four years ago, Mike, exactly, you know, it's very similar to Dawn's story. You know, we also went into the township and, and exactly as Dawn says, a bunch of white chicks and, you know, delivered soccer balls and colouring in books to this little school and we all thought we were doing our thing. Mm. And I must be honest that at the end of that day, the soccer balls were popped, the colouring in books were coloured in, you know, the hot dogs were finished and I never felt so empty in my life and I'm like, what are we doing? And I came back to my agency, and you'll understand agency life. And I'm, and I said to my team, we have to do more. This is not, um, this is not 67 uh, minutes of giving back. This is just, mm. you know, a, an absolute splash in the in the in the pan. And we've absolutely done nothing today. We have made no difference whatsoever. And I said, what are we good at? What are the things that we can do? And obviously, running a creative agency, design was at the heart of what we did. And that's where we came up with 67 logos. So for the past three years, Mike, we have run a 67 logos campaign um, and giving 67 logos to 67 small businesses. So we've done over 200 logos to date. This year has been so exciting. I got Armin Tilly on board. Um, he's a consultant for CWDI. He did a, a shout out to his creative friends in the industry. We've got over 67 designers, or I think we've got over 70 designers already, and that's some, somewhere where we normally struggle. And this year we are going to be doing this project again. And But we want to do more. And this is absolutely where the corporate South Africa can help us because Dawn and I, we don't want to only give them a logo that is now sponsored by the creative industry of South Africa, but we want to put them on our Golden Circle program. We want to put them through our um, six-week training course, and we really want to make a, a, a difference. We were actually a finalist in the Luris um, for this exact project uh, in 2019. Amazing. And 
you know, and it is a project that is so close to my heart because they can't afford a professional agency. Um, you know, a logo can cost between fifteen and 25,000 rand and in big agencies, much more than that. And, sure. you know, it's easy to stand up. It's hard to stand out. And by giving them a beautifully designed logo that's been especially beautifully curated just gives them that opportunity to stand out. And we've had beautiful stories of people winning contracts because they looked professional, they felt more confident, and it yeah, really sure. gave them, you know, so much more than just a logo. And so this year... We are on that mission again. Yeah, so I think yes, also that logo is 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 literally the ticket to the game. I mean, that really is is part yeah. of their ticket to the game. And there are just so many small businesses that have been started up because people have lost their jobs and they've had to start a side hustle. And the last thing that they have money for is a logo. So invariably the husband or the wife sits at the kitchen table and they put something that they grab off the internet and they put that together and then they um, you know, they go for it. So this is just really giving them the ticket to the game. And then the training and everything else makes their business and helps to make their business more sustainable in the future because, you know, there are just so many businesses that and so many people that have lost their jobs and, and that are that are trying to start these small businesses but ha- have never, ever run a business in their lives. And, you know, we believe that the 67, um, what's it called, Logathon? Designathon. Designathon, sorry, Logathon, <laughs> Designathon, is really just an incredible way of giving back in the memory of Mandela. Yeah, I think we can all take a page out of that book. There's there's giving and then there's giving. Um, and I think the, the difference is intent and certainly – the, the value of the thing. And it, it value is not always about what you spent getting it. It's those years of experience and wisdom that are so difficult to replicate uh, when you're starting out that in a small phone call gesture, as we mentioned earlier on, introduction, as you said, using a creative skill can translate to such enormous value for somebody who doesn't have, have access. So for people who are listening, who would love to find out more about what you are doing, who would like to connect with the organization, what are the different ways that they can do that? And please also share with us details for how to get hold of the book. Okay, so the two books. So the first book is um, the Entrepreneur's Playbook. It's mm-hmm. online on our website, uh, www.overtherainbow.co.za. The yeah. second book is Hope Stories, also available on our website. On our website, there's a tab for 67 logos. You can apply as a small business. You can apply as a a designer, although we do have enough designers. But if we get more designers and we get more small businesses, we'll do more than 67. Or you can apply and donate as a company. So what we're looking for is 6,700 Rand per business. So if a company can donate 6,700 Rand, Dawn and I will then not only give them that logo, which is free, but put them on our six-week training course and put them on our six-month mentorship program for 6,700 Rand, which is normally costs a lot more than that. And that's how we... And then obviously on our social channels, on Facebook, we are Over the Rainbow Dash Entrepreneur. And then on Instagram, we are OTR underscore Entrepreneur. Amazing. Thank you so much. I know you're both extremely busy. Um, the fact that you take our time to have a chat with me on the show and, and not just chat to me, but inspire and encourage. Uh, I, uh, I admit waking up this morning in the, in the dreary cold, I was feeling a little bit, um, a little bit low on energy, but feeling really motivated, inspired, 
encouraged after this conversation. There's always more to do, as you say, Leslie. Um, it should be it should be your tagline. I think uh, there's always more. Um, <laughs> and I just want to thank you on behalf of all of us, both entrepreneurs and business people, for um, for the efforts and the the intention behind your work. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much indeed, and 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 it really has been great chatting to you. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com Click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.